0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ranjit Dishpande. Today, we have Dr. Matthew Chirpik, who's an assistant professor in pulmonary and critical care medicine at the University of Chicago. His special interest, uh, as you guys have probably realized from the paper, is machine learning and data science. We're going to discuss his recent publication, Predictors of In-Hospital Mortality After Rapid Response Team Calls in a 274 hospital nationwide sample. Welcome, Dr. Chirpik. Before we start with this, do you have any disclosures to make?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, our lab does have a patent pending for risk stratification algorithms for ward patients, but I have no personal uh, um, commercial conflicts of interest at this time.
0: So the the first obvious question that comes to my mind is, what made you come up with the study or what got you interested in looking at predictors for rapid response team calls?
1: A lot of work has been done over many decades now in identifying high-risk patients on the wards using vital signs and other variables. These risk scores that have been developed over the years have then led to the activation of rapid response team to come to the bedside of deteriorating patients. However, very little work has been done to actually look at what predictors would predict in-hospital mortality for patients that the rapid response team has already identified as high-risk. If we can identify these risk factors better, this might provide valuable information for the rapid response team who's at the bedside of these deteriorating patients. So our goal then for this research was to look at what rapid response team triggers and what vital signs and other variables might predict in-hospital mortality for patients who have clinical deterioration and are being seen by rapid response teams.
0: So basically, the study is going to help providers make decisions on which patients are going to stay on or should stay on the floor, which patients can be transferred to a higher acuity care or even need any change of status. Is that correct? So, the outcome
1: that we focused on for this study was in hospital mortality. Uh, and so, by, for example, if a rapid response team comes into the room of a patient, and based on our findings, um, it would suggest that the patient might have a very high risk of mortality. You can imagine the rapid response team might, in addition to thinking about triage and aggressive care, may also elicit some of the goals of care from the patient, for example. Um, And for patients with a very, very low risk of mortality, you also might imagine the rapid response team might consider uh, consider that the patient might be more likely to be safe on on the general wards. So I think this is really meant to be a supplement um, to what the rapid response team is already doing by identifying which vital signs and which triggers um, are actually predictive of high mortality in the hospital.
0: And how do you think this model that you have could be implemented across different healthcare systems?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So in addition to identifying um, some of the triggers that are predictive of of high risk mortality, for example, high respiratory rate trigger, cardiovascular trigger, or abnormalities in respiratory rate and blood pressure. We also developed a machine learning model that can predict in-hospital mortality with high accuracy in this study. When we investigated across different types of hospitals, we also found that the accuracy of the model was continued to be high across different characteristics of hospitals. So this is something that we'd be very, we are very interested in seeing how this might be generalizable or usable for other hospitals. We are, are working on developing an online tool that readers can use to actually help predict mortality for some of their patients that they're seeing in their hospital.
0: And then the data for this study came from the American Heart Association's Get With the Guidelines database. Is that a database that's easily available to any person interested in uh, doing studies out of this database?
1: Some of the listeners may be more familiar with the Get With the Guidelines cardiac arrest database, as that database has been used for many years now to better characterize cardiac arrests that occur in the hospital. This current database is a medical is a database of medical emergency team calls that contains hundreds of thousands of rapid response team calls across hundreds of hospitals in the United States. This database is, is now available and research interested researchers or quality improvement uh, groups can put in proposals to the AHA, and then get access to these data for their own research. So this is an incredible resource, I think, for researchers out there who are interested in rapid response teams and how they work at a national level.
0: And then using this database, you found a correlation between systolic blood pressure, length of time the patient's been in the the hospital, respiratory rate, as basically predictors for mortality. And using these variables, you came up with a prediction model. That was my understanding after reading this paper. Is that appropriate or is there more to it?
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh, So the first thing we did was to just look at simple predictors to see how well the individual predictors would actually predict in hospital mortality. And we found um, some interesting findings, including the fact that if a patient had any respiratory trigger for the rapid response team, their in-hospital mortality rate was over 20%. Uh, The next uh, highest predictor is for patients who had any cardiovascular trigger, their risk of in-hospital mortality was over 15%. And importantly, if a patient had more than three triggers, three different physiologic triggers for their rapid response team call, their mortality was, was well over 25%. Um, so by looking at these individual triggers, these are things I think that, that a rapid response team, uh, nurse or, 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 or physician provider can can have that in their mind and they walk in the room of a patient with one of these triggers. And I think it really puts them in, into perspective what the actual risk is of mortality for their patient. In addition, we combined then all of these different triggers and vital signs, as well as things like how long the patient has been in the hospital prior to the rapid response team call. And we used all of that into and and combined that into a machine learning model to see how accurate these these variables together could predict in hospital mortality. The final C statistic for that was 0.78, which is pretty accurate for predicting in hospital mortality, because, for example, we didn't have... Uh, other variables like laboratory values or other things that probably could even improve this prediction further. Importantly, the other thing we found is that there are many early warning scores, like the modified early warning score or MUSE, as well as the national early warning score used in the UK or, or NEWS, that are already used in hospitals today to activate the rapid response team. And one important finding that we saw was the NEWS was actually not very accurate for those patients who then have, who actually have had a call. In other words, when, the, when we walk into the room, it helps you figure out who you should be seeing. But once you get to the bedside, you really need to use some of this other information to determine your patient's real risk of in-hospital mortality.
0: So, Matt, what do you think of other indices that are out there, like the Rothman index, for example, in helping us with these prediction models? Right. So there, are,
1: um, there are a lot of different risk scores that are out there now for uh, predicting general clinical deterioration. For example, the Rothman index uh, is one. Gabriel Escobar out of Kaiser's developed a, a one using a large data set, and our own group as well as developed the e score, which is a a general risk score that identifies which patients on the general wards are at high risk of suffering a cardiac arrest or going to the ICU. Several of these scores are are pretty well established. I think this particular paper, because of the fact that it focuses on patients who have already been identified as being high risk, um, is novel because it really suggests that once you get the rapid response team to the bedside, That some of these risk scores may or may not work as well in this specific population. And so that's why we wanted to look at the news, for example, in this particular study. So I think in some ways we were asking a bit of a different question here, um, really to try to help the rapid response team. You know, once they get to the bedside, the next question is, okay, so what do I do? Some of these things that we found could help with things like ICU triage, um, you know, identifying some patients with high risk of mortality where you might spend that extra time for goals of care discussions. And also as a, at, a, at a sort of a, a general level at the hospital, because our model can predict the probability of, of mortality, essentially an expected mortality prediction, you might imagine using this also for quality improvement for your rapid response team specifically. So I think there are a lot of uses of this, these results in this study, which are a bit separate from some of the other work that's been ongoing um, in general risk deterioration of war patients.
0: You mentioned that your, uh, your group is looking at some other scoring systems and uh, its implications in, you know, not just RRT, but in other situations in the hospital. Now, I'm an anesthesiologist, and our big issue is how do we restratify stratify patients? So, going in for You know, a regular anesthetic procedure or a surgery, and, you know, come up with some sort of a predictor where this patient's going to land, either the PACU, the floor, the ICU. So, what do you think of, you know, the scoring systems, the prediction tools that you're working on? Is there anything out there that you think the listeners should be aware of that's coming out?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, we really live in, I think, really very exciting times for people who are interested in data science and machine learning. The electronic health record data um, is, is getting easier easier to access and it really has a wealth of information that you can use for a number of different prediction problems. For example, our lab, in addition to developing the ECART score, which is a risk predictor, predictor for uh, ward patients for uh, predicting cardiac arrests and ICU transfer, we've also developed models for acute kidney injury. Um, we've shown that our ECART score predicts outcomes for patients with pulmonary embolism And in addition, just published a paper that used our ECART score to see how well it predicted the outcomes of post-operative patients. And so we're very interested in in using these data for additional situations for for risk stratification, because I agree, I think that um, risk stratification either in the pre-op or post-op setting could be a very important use of these kinds of tools, and it's definitely something that we're looking into right now.
0: So Matthew, so what do you think about these results? Are these... uh generalizable results or are they just focused on academic centers are they focused on you know your community hospitals what's your take on the results results of the study yeah that's a great
1: question one of the great things about this get with the guidelines database is the fact that it contains data from a wide range of different hospital types for example we have uh, major teaching minor teaching and also non-teaching hospitals in the data set we have urban academic centers we have rural centers We have smaller hospitals and larger hospitals. Um, And actually, one of the things we looked at in the study was how well our risk score actually performed across these different hospital types. And in the paper in Figure 3, we actually show that the accuracy of the algorithm holds up quite well across all of these different types of hospitals. I think I could say for sure that if you're a hospital that has contributed data to the Get With The Guidelines database, that it's likely that these results would hold up pretty well in your individual hospital. You know, I can't say for sure that for hospitals who didn't contribute data here, you know, 100% for sure apply to all of their patients. But again, one of the reasons we are working on developing this online tool is that then those hospitals could actually add in some of their, their data for their patients in there and see how well it works at their individual centers. Um, so I think it's very likely to be very generalizable, but I think you know every patient's an individual, and certainly every institution's an individual and so by creating this online tool, we're hoping to provide that additional information to the hospitals to make sure that it is applicable to their patients
0: so Matt, a question that comes to me is you know your university you have you have resources, you have a nice team which looks at all these machine learning algorithms, you know you look at prediction tools you know what what have you learned? What advice would you give to, uh, you know, providers in using these prediction tools or what are the things that we should watch out for?
1: Yeah, good question. I think that um, in this day and age, because EHR ver- uh, uh, data is, is getting easier and easier to get, it's becoming easier to just develop and you know, these machine learning algorithms for many different problems. But I can tell you you know, firsthand, uh, one, of these, one of the important lessons we learned from developing our eCard score that's now running in our hospital and several others is the fact that pr- developing a prediction model is one thing and often is really the easier part. The hard part really is implementing these models in practice in a way that clinicians, um, uh, it goes to the right clinician and clinicians actually want to use them And then by using them, they're actually improving patient care. So I think some of the important lessons that we've learned then um, regarding the implementation side of these machine learning algorithms is that the first thing is, you know, you want to identify who the right person is to receive this information. Um, You know, you don't want to have this as a tool that just sits there, for example, in your EHR for everyone to see, because essentially what ends up happening is no one looks at it. And so you really need to identify who are really the clinical champions who will be the ones acting on these machine learning algorithm recommendations. And I think another thing that's very important is also making sure that the providers who are going to be using these algorithms, that the algorithm works very well in their workflow so that it's very easy for them to go throughout their normal workflow and then have these algorithms make recommendations within their workflow as opposed to, for example, them having to log into some other website to get any additional information and then log back into the EHR. Because again, I think the most important thing is to to, uh, have these algorithms actually being used and to provide actionable information in order to improve patient care. And so the usability piece of these algorithms I think is just as important or more important than the machine learning um, development of the model itself.
0: Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of iCritical Care podcast. Please check our website at www.sccm.org/icriticalcare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Ranjit Deshpande. Thank you.
2: Dr. Ranjit Deshpande. Dr. Ranjit Deshpande is an intensivist and an anesthesiologist at the Yale New Haven Hospital, YNHH. His interests include organ transplantation and point-of-care ultrasound. He currently is the Director for Transplant Anesthesiology at YNHH. He is actively involved in resident education. Dr. Deshpande grew up in India and graduated from the BJ Medical College in Pune, India. He came to the United States to pursue a residency in anesthesiology at the University of Miami Jackson Hospital after which he joined the Johns Hopkins University as a fellow in critical care medicine. His interests outside of medicine include spending time with his family, playing tennis, and squash. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org slash membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.